Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, beautiful humans, to this episode of Sister Speak with Dr. Emma Church. I am so thrilled today for our guest, who um, is no longer a current Wacoan, um, but much of her story resides in this town in which we live and work and socialize and play and all the things. Um, this beautiful, wonderful woman is something along the lines of all those superlatives from high school uh, yearbooks, like most likely to, in my opinion, be famous, most likely to make you laugh until you cry, most likely to inspire you. All of these incredible qualities this woman has, we are in for a treat. And her story really exists at the intersection of some really interesting and important um, identities that will resonate with a lot of people that will listen today. And so I'm really grateful to have Anna on the podcast today. Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for calling in Hi. bright and early this morning. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this and I'm really, really excited to have the conversation. Absolutely. So let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, tell us, Anna, about kind of the beginning of your life as you set the stage for this important story that you're going to be sharing with our listeners. Yeah. So um, today I am 36 and I have two small kids um, uh, and about to be three-year-old and about to be five-year-old. And so that's where we are today. But um when I look back at my childhood, I think um, when I was deep inside of evangelicalism, I might have framed it differently, um, but becoming a parent myself, I've, I've been able to tap into a lot more empathy for my own parents, mm. and I think the way I want to frame my childhood story for everything we'll talk about today is I was a very sensitive little kid. Um, I think a lot of queer people are, are very sensitive children. And I, I needed a lot of emotional attunement from my parents. 
Mm-hmm. And um, the the reality was um, my mom was from a West Virginia coal mining town, and she married a guy who she thought was going to be um, an unbelievable architect. And um, my father was an unbelievable architect. He's designed stadiums for the Olympics, but has a lot of trauma in his own childhood. Um, his father passed away when he was 12, and then he was sent to boarding school. So in many ways, I think he kind of grew up independently. And he wasn't the breadwinner um, that my mom was expecting. So my mom had to work a lot my entire life. Um, so from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for the majority of my life, um, mom was working. And she had an incredible career. Um, I respect her so much. And um, I would just say, like, she's at the top of my short list of heroes. Um, <clears throat> she works with the Department of Education today as a second career after being a principal for a couple decades. And um, she's doing a mental health grant um, to help stop school shootings. So she had an incredible, um, profoundly impactful career, but I was this like little queer kid. (laughs) And I think I needed a mom who was like, probably going to sit there with me, look me right in the eye for like at least four hours a day and be like, how did you feel about everything that happened at school? Mm -hmm. So I paint that picture to just say, like, my parents um, loved me really well for the level of emotional awareness that they had and also the bandwidth that they had in their lives and, in the mar- like, the margins they had in their lives. But the point is, I think I was more needy than I realized. And so as a kid, I grew up just feeling lonely, like I felt I was always very popular. I was always um, very athletically inclined. Like I was liked by everybody. And so thank you so much for your kind words in the intro. I was, um, you know, most athletic and funniest and all of these things, but I just felt like deep loneliness on the inside of who I was. Mm -hmm. And I felt unknown. And um, a lot of that had to do with, as a kid, I wanted to be a boy. Like I was really athletic and I loved being outside and I just thrived um, in that masculine space. And, um, you know, uh, given that I'm 36, like the eighties weren't really as woke of a time as 2021. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't a lot of space for girls who felt like boys. Um, But my mom, like, she let me wear my brother's clothes and she let me cut, she let me cut my hair the way she wanted. So really they provided as much as they could in the way of support of who I was. But um, I went to a youth group and I was in seventh grade and I went to like my, my parents weren't um, like heavily religious. They weren't like, uh, you know, you need to be in church and, and all this stuff. But my mom told me about this youth group that she knew other kids went to. So in seventh grade, I, I walked in and they were like, we love you. God loves you. And your soul <laughs> and was, was like, like, finally, yeah. all the love. I was like, this rules. Like, thank you. Um, because while my home was supportive in the ways that it it could be, it wasn't a bunch of hugs and kisses and I love you. Mm -hmm. And I think I needed a lot more of that than I realized or my parents realized. And so I entered into this church and it was like, I want to change the word from church to belonging. Mm -hmm. It was like 
we're not going to give you um, salvation. We're going to give you belonging. Mm -hmm. And I wanted so badly to belong. I wanted to, I didn't feel at home inside myself. I was like, this is very tomboy, you know, uh, loud personality. And I, I, I wanted home inside myself and I wanted home inside of a community of people. And I think I was a deeply spiritual person. And unfortunately in the American South, if you're interested in pursuing spirituality, there's really one vehicle for you to do that. And it's the church. And so the draw of the spiritual aspect and the belonging, I mean, I was, I was interested in, in what they had to say. And, um, I also was very sensitive to the culture inside of the church of like, okay, yeah, like women are supposed to look like this. Like, okay, I wear umbro shorts and an umbro t-shirt and Adidas soccer shoes every day. Like, that is my outfit of choice as this, like, androgynous, you know, seventh grader. And looking around and realizing, okay, no, 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 no. Like, a Christian woman is like this. And she plays the supporting role to her husband. And I mean, I got exposure into, like, Anna, this is the path. If you want to continue in this place of belonging, this is what you need to walk and pursue. Mm -hmm. And so I I, um, carried on and dated a guy in high school and then um I went or I'm sorry I got invited on a a ski trip with a youth group and there was a woman who was a former uh, Miss Georgia you know incredibly beautiful uh woman and she was a youth leader involved and she said um or she took a liking to me and you know, looking back now as a 36-year-old, I'm like, she could feel and smell and sense my big gay vibe, you know, that comes with my energy. Like, uh, Dr. Church, I think when I met you for the first time, like, part of your feedback was like, I think you're the gayest girl I've ever met. And so, like, yeah, just, um, she sensed that. And I wanted from her that mother who was like, Hey baby girl, here's how you put mascara on. Mm -hmm. Like you're a beautiful girl. Let me help you. And and let me show you what to do. And so it answered something in me that I wanted in that place of mothering and whatever. Well, as you can imagine, spoiler alert, um, she encouraged me to break up with my high school boyfriend a few years and she initiated a homosexual relationship with me. Um, And so I did not tell anybody about this because I was 17. I was a minor. She was 24. Mm-hmm. She was working with this church. She was a person in our community that people knew. Um, I And so I felt the need for hiddenness. I felt the need to keep this shameful secret to myself. Um, she asked me not to talk with anyone about it. Mm-hmm. And so um, the relationship carried on for probably about five months. And it was just this incredibly tense time for me emotionally of like, Oh my gosh, this is everything I've ever wanted. Like this beautiful woman giving me her full attention. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up watching saved by the bell and I was so enthralled by Kelly Kapowski. I would watch boy meets world and I was so enthralled by Topanga. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Like she's nothing but lips and eyes and curves and like, 
looking back, like I was a very gay person from, from truly my inception. And I have this woman who's as beautiful as these women I've seen on screen and she's giving me her, her undivided attention, but I'm living inside of this Southern culture and now this religious culture that's like, Hey girl, there are two things that God hates more than anything. And the first is killing unborn babies. Jesus hates abortion. And it's like, okay, like help me understand that because I'm, I'm reading red letters. I don't see him saying that. Like mm-hmm. I understand the, um, the way we arrive at that, but I wasn't able to see it logically. So they were like, Jesus really hates that. That's his most hated thing. The second thing he hates most is gay stuff. Like it's so unnatural. Like two men, two women, it's against God's design. It's against his economy. It's not God's best. And so it's this tense time of like, I'm alive. I'm getting everything I've ever wanted. And also this is, so evil. Yeah, the condemnation so, of that. Yeah, yeah. And so this internal civil war began. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't tell anybody about what happened with her. That lasted about five months. I, did, I went to college out of state. Um, you know, great scholarship to go play soccer at a top 50 academic college. My life looked perfect. Um, I was a straight A type A um, kind of person. And you know, in therapy, I've learned a lot of closeted gay people are this way. We feel we have to be the best boy in the world, the best girl in the world. Yes. We right. feel we have to excel at everything we do because we hate ourselves. Yeah, to compensate and so, for that inner, yes. inner knowing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like I'm I'm the star soccer player. I'm star student. I'm the most I'm the funniest person in the room and the reality is I hate myself. And so <clears throat> I went to college, I, I dated another girl, and then I went to a um, very large Christian event called, um, well, maybe I shouldn't say it, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll say who spoke at this event, but it's one of these Christian events where there's like 60,000 people, and we're all focused on like living our biggest, most maximized lives for the kingdom of God coming on earth. And a man named John Piper stood up, and he talked about how we have these beautiful destinies written in God, but our sexual immorality will forfeit our destinies in God. We will have a story that could have been written about our lives, about all the great things we did for God, but our sexual immorality, our homosexuality, our sex outside of sin will prevent us from fulfilling our destiny in God. Wow. And like for you to yeah. have like this performative, you know, compensating, I'm going to be perfect to make up for this. And then to hear that message from the from the stage of it, none of that matters if this is present. Yeah. And I think hearing it from like a man with mostly white hair who was positioned as like, this is our theological authority. And he's going to come up here and really tell us like how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I left that conference in shambles and I was like, God hates that I'm gay. And if I choose to be gay, like if I choose to keep dating this girl, I'm dating in in college, I'm going to forfeit my whole eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. And like, 
any potential impact I can have on this side of kingdom come, like on my one life on earth. And so I, I broke up with the girl I was with and I went to who I deemed at my college. I was like, this is the most spiritual person I know. She seems really in touch with Jesus. And I need to like sort all my BS out real fast because I've already forfeited, you know, a couple years of my impact for God. Mm-hmm. And so I told her everything. I, I told her about the relationship with Miss Georgia and, and everything. It was the first time in two years that I opened my mouth and told anybody what had happened. And she was really kind. And she said to me, Anna, I think you need to go and meet with this prayer counselor. And it turns out that this girl that I went to, she was more of like the Holy Ghosty type of Christian. And I hadn't really been exposed to that. Like I'd been going to the, a United Methodist youth group. And this, this chick was like a Azusa Street Revival prayer flag, like shofar blowing, um, tambourine tapping kind of Christian. Like definitely tongue speaking. And so she was like, you need to go and do this like inner healing prayer. And they're going to, like, help you fix this gay thing. Like, once you really, really, really encounter the Holy Spirit and you're, like, speaking in tongues and, like, you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, like, you won't be gay anymore. And I bought it. Mm. I was like, okay. Like, this is awesome. Well, I she, can fix Yeah, she gave you an answer. Hey, say, yeah. say these words, pray this prayer, and you're good. And you just wanted an answer. And so to right? believe that makes so much sense. Yeah. And so um, I, I basically, at that point, began dabbling in the type of church that is like Antioch Waco. And I was interested in that sort of thing. And I wanted to like, what was there a more mystical Jesus? Like, could he baptize me with tongues of fire? Mm -hmm. Could I see visions and have prophetic experiences? I was very drawn to that because I was a mystical, spiritual, queer person. Mm -hmm. And so I continued in college um, single because at 19, when I heard John Piper say that, I made a choice. I said, I'm going to mark out 12 months on the calendar. I'm not going to date anyone. I'm going to give all of my time, energy, attention, affection, money, and resources to Jesus and let him fix this gay thing in me. And I'm going to be single and let my heart become fascinated with him so that I'm not drawn to women. So I'm not looking for an earthly relationship to to fill me. And so at the end of that year, I was very, very alive. Like I felt very alive in God and alive in who I was. And I ended up staying single from 19 to 25 when I met my ex-husband and um, we started dating. So I had about six years of like this great romance with Jesus. But I I share that to say um, my senior year of college, guess what I did, Dr. Church? You're going to be like, oh man, you didn't learn. (laughs) I went back. I went back to another or this same 60,000 person Christian conference. If you haven't figured out that I'm talking about passion and Louis Giglio yet, you're just not deep enough in evangelicalism, (laughs) which is funny to me because I look back and I'm like, wow, he started in Waco as well. Like, man, it's just a breeding ground for this sort of thing. Truly. Anyway, all, all that to say, um, I went to an event and a girl named Heather Mercer from Waco, Texas got on a stage and she casted this vision. She was like, I'm from Antioch Community Church in Waco. 
and we're taking 20 people to northern Iraq. This was in 2007. So keep in mind, like, the political climate at the time is a war on terror that George W. Bush is leading in Iraq. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's like, let's set, the, let's set the stage. So Heather Mercer gets up. She's like, we're taking 20 people to go um, be missionaries in Iraq. And, you know, I felt that call inside of me, that call for adventure. I felt that call to do something incredibly significant for this God who had rescued me from my gayness and for, for this God who had rescued me from hell. And so I went and I walked up to the table and I met one of the elders from Antioch Community Church. And I'm, I'm still friends with this man today and I still have a deep respect for him. Mm-hmm. But here's what happened, Dr. Church. He's a father and he's nothing but gentleness and tenderness. I, and I want to say his name because I respect him so much. It's Pat Murphy. And he, he's a businessman in Waco now and I'm, I'm, I feel emotional talking about him, but I mean, he is a dad um, to daughters who aren't his. And um, I just want to share, I, I apologize for being emotional, but um, when my, my ex-husband was dating me, um, he sat him down and he said, hey, Brian, I need to know that you have what it takes to be with Anna. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, I'm going to say a lot of things about Antioch Waco that are really disappointing but I want to say like there is gold inside of that and I think a lot of the gold is waking up to the harm that's been caused by that church absolutely and so anyway back to the story (laughs) put your tears away girl I love the Um, tears Anna I love yeah I know you do (laughs) yeah and and so um he he just looked at me like a father and he's like Anna I think you need to apply for this and I, I, I felt the belonging again. Mm. I felt like everything that seventh grade Anna felt of like, here's a spiritual community that you can be inside of and you can be seen in and you can do these significant things. So I did it. I went to Iraq. <laughs> what? You know, just like a normal 22 year old sorority girl who graduates from college. I told my parents I was moving to Iraq and how'd that go? And I did. Yeah, I know. Right. I did the thing with Antioch and, um, you know, I interviewed to, to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, after I interviewed, and the interview was really intense. I want to say this because it's just so crazy now. I work in corporate America now for a Fortune 500 company and have really been developed as a corporate professional. And so I, I want to tell this story because it makes me giggle so hard. When they, were, when they were interviewing me to be a missionary, like some of the questions were, when was the last time you masturbated? And like, I, I was like, uh, like, excuse me, what are we, what are we talking about? Um, like you're about to send me into the war on terror. So like preach your gospel and work. I mean, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe six months ago. I don't know. <laughs> What's the so, right anyway. answer? Tell me. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, but then the second um, thing that they said at the end, or I, I'm sorry, the first thing that they said to me after all these interviews I did with Antioch, they said, Anna, we're really, really, really excited about you as a candidate, <clears throat> but we have one concern. You have homosexual sin in your background, 
And we are worried that if we send you into this environment, that that will be activated. And so we need you to confirm for us, and the language that they said to me was, we need you to confirm for us that the homosexual thing inside of you is dead. Wow. Yeah, right? Like, think about that. This is a part of my identity that's been in my fabric of who I am as a human. From the moments I saw Saved by the Bell as a five-year-old, and, and you're telling me to come and do this incredibly significant, exciting thing. Because otherwise, I was going to go do the Peace Corps and then go to law school. Like, I was just like, oh, Antioch will send me to an even more exciting location. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, we just need you to make sure this whole part of who you are is dead. And then we will take you. And I said, because, you know, I mean, to that point, the last time I kissed a girl, I was 19. And I was now 21. And so I said, yeah, it's dead. And they doubted me. And they said, okay, well, for our comfort, when you come to Waco, we are going to have you have a few special meetings with our counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think eventually she became a licensed professional counselor, like whatever the proper accreditation is to be given a title like that. But they were like, "We we want you to have a few sessions with her so that she can confirm that this gay part of you is actually dead. And so because I was 21 and like not thinking with a whole brain or anything, I I accepted it. And I was like, yeah, sure, I I will do that. And so when I entered Antioch, there were very, very, very clear barriers to entry of you cannot belong and do this great thing for God Unless this whole part of who you are, which we believe is sinful and only second to murdering babies, Mm. if you can make sure and confirm for us and confirm for our panel of, honestly, let's be honest, unqualified professionals, that is said, then you can come. And so I did that. And I actually had a very positive experience in Iraq. I met incredible people. I got exposure as like a global citizen to things that people at that time just didn't have exposure to. And I came back and decided I wanted to keep church planning with Antioch um, because it was, it felt like impactful work. So um, I was single till I was 25 and um, I decided I wanted to go back to the most unreached people groups with Antioch. And um, so I had to do this training school where, you know, it's like nine months and you do all this really weird BS stuff. Like they made us do a clothing fast. And the idea behind that was you're only going to have three outfits and you'll see what it's like to live like someone who doesn't have a lot of clothes. Like what? Mm -hmm. Um, Like we all have jobs outside of this class, Antioch. Like we, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If this is what a Christian robot is meant to do, I will do it and I'll do it the best. I'll just wear one outfit. There were just really weird things like, Hey, we want you guys to take this wooden cross. That's like two feet by two feet. And as an exercise, we want you to carry it around everywhere you go for a week to um, show that you are not ashamed of the gospel. Looking back, I'm like, hey, Antioch, I just got back from Iraq, and the next place I'm headed for you guys is Benghazi, Libya. Mm. 
I'm pretty sure after forfeiting any other career to go and do this stuff with you guys, you know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So why am I having to do this extremely weird thing that actually repels people from the person of Jesus? Yes, and the continuous martyring, kind of the martyring of the self, the killing of the unique creation that is you continuously kind of leaves you with nothing but the things that you're being told and taught. Exactly, exactly. But but yeah, so I I continued this journey. I was in the class, and um, a guy liked me in the class. Uh, he was a couple years younger than me. His name was Brian. And um, I didn't like him back. I wasn't attracted to him. Um, I felt like he seemed young. and um, But I knew he was nice. And I knew he was pure. And most importantly, I knew that on paper, we really made sense. Mm-hmm. He was a college athlete. I was a college athlete. Um, he wanted to go and work among Arabic-speaking peoples. I wanted to do that. He likes mountain biking. I like mountain biking. Um, it just seemed to make sense on paper. And so he initiated a relationship with me, and we did it the exact Antioch way. <laughs> what I mean by that is Antioch was going through this thing where they said, we're going to do intentional friendships, not dating. Mm-hmm. So Brian and I, um, he asked me out and asked me to be his intentional friend. And we agreed um, per the Antioch way. And these, these are not things that are said from the front. Like, Jesus' way is this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many ways, they're like, here's the model for dating, and we would encourage you to follow it. And here's other people who followed the model, and we celebrate them and applaud them. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> Brian and I dated for one year, and we did not kiss until I got engaged. So let's pause here. The last time my mouth has been on another human's mouth I was 19, and it was a woman. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm committing to a lifelong marriage with someone who I have, I have not hit. And so I said yes, and I, I, I just remember so much about our relationship, thinking, I think this is what it's like to hold my brother's hand. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this would be like what it would be like to kiss my brother's mouth. Like, I am not connected and alive and embodied when I am with this person. Something is wrong, but I never thought it was because I was gay. Mm. And the reason for that is because that part of me was dead. It was buried in a tomb with Jesus and it was sent to the pit of hell and it was never going to return. And so it was just like, wait, I've done this all exactly as you guys told me to. You know, we waited till our wedding night to have sex. And I just remember thinking, like, that was it. Like, and then fast forward, because I know I think I've probably gone over time. You're doing um, beautifully, Anna. And I'm just holding oh, myself <laughs> back from interjecting because oh, no. your, your words are are perfect. And I will say before you move on that your story is one that mirrors so many stories of other individuals that I have worked with and stories that I have come to know about people involved in this church um, in Waco, Texas, from beginning at Baylor's Counseling Center um, and knowing nothing of Antioch, but hearing story after story 
yeah. uh, from students and asking, what church is this? And it was all right, the same right, church. Right. And I'm like, what is going on there? And to yeah. coming to a point of really specializing in spiritual abuse and trauma related to this particular church, but also to kind of white American evangelical Christianity. Oh, yeah. um, and yeah. so you're... Every word that you're saying is so important to people listening, okay. and I know we'll connect. Well, thank you. So you're doing well, yeah. fantastic. I, I think um, given that sentiment, I, I would want to say this for anyone who is listening. I've been an employee of Antioch Community Church in Waco. I've also been an employee at Antioch Ministries International. Mm-hmm. And I want to be really, really clear. I do think it's a cult. And, and here's one thing to consider. When I was an employee there, they would ask employees to do SEO work on Google to combat all of the search queries that said, is Antioch Community Church a cult? Wow. They would have us do things as employees to combat that so that when people search for the church, they wouldn't find cult forums, cult threads, whatever. But here's why I want to be really clear. I think it's a cult. We think of cult as, you know, sex cult or something really demonic. But I have come to understand here's what a cult is. It's somebody who says, we have found the truth. It's exclusive to what we believe, and it it should inform all of your behavior. Mm -hmm. It should inform your thought patterns. We know how you should live. We know how you should think. We know how you should relate to the world. In fact, we even know how you should raise and discipline your children. Mm -hmm. So for you to have a fulfilling life in God, Follow our prescription of how you relate to Jesus, of how you relate to others as a follower of Christ, and that is the way. And, and so I just want to say anyone who has a monopoly or a corner market on we have found the real truth, and I felt this sentiment both inside the church and then also in the missionary community. It was like as Antioch missionaries, we have the most forerunning um, ideologies about church planning and I and B and frontiers and everybody's trying to keep up and learn from us. Like it's very much like we have the corner market on this stuff and that's the cult mentality. Yeah. So that's a, that's um, an important piece. And I would say also, especially working with people that have been in as deep as you, you know, going to the D school, being missionaries and really, um, traumatized areas in the world. Yeah. Um, there's this other piece that the deeper in you go, you end up socializing with, worshiping with, yeah. working for businesses owned by other Antiochers, right. oftentimes living in homes with other people that attend the church. And so if you are to question and if you are to um, leave, you are losing income your entire yeah. social community, your right? friendships, and and, and relationship and with God. Yeah. Spoiler, yeah. Spoiler alert, I did. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the important thing that I want to state here um, is I, I, I felt doubt about marrying my husband, mm. and I tried to communicate that to so many people mm. at Antioch, readers, peers, and I said, hey, I'm at work Googling. How do you know if you're in love with someone? Mm-hmm. And I'm two months out from my <laughs> wedding date. Can somebody please help me? And at no point did anyone say, Anna, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go through with this. If your intuition is speaking to you, what I heard was, 
Anna, what's God saying? Like you and Brian share the same vision for your lives. And think about like, you know, it, it was all like, hey, girl, don't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't trust what you're feeling. Don't trust that intuition, that nowhere inside of you. Trust us. Yeah. Trust God. You can't trust yourself. It's wicked and it's depraved. And so I moved forward in faith. And, and I even got that from my discipler. She was like, Anna, sometimes I'm feeling catch up to our faith. And that's like a really cute thing on a sign from Hobby Lobby. But it was prescribed to me as truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was prescribed to me as like, this is the way of Jesus. Your feelings for this man will catch up as you move forward in faith. And so, I mean, even on my wedding day, I looked at my maid of honor and I said, do you really think he and I are a good fit? And I mean, she zipped me in the dress and she was like, well, it's too late now. But the, the story I want to share right here is I went on the engagement retreat with, with Antioch. And there was really at the time only one female pastor on staff. Her name is Susan Peters. And, and I know that she's loved me the whole time I've been at Antioch and, and the whole time um, that I was a part of that. But I want to highlight something that she said on the engagement retreat that was incredibly um, harmful to my personhood uh, for the next 10 years of my life. And she came, she was not the the main speaker at the engagement retreat, but she was like a guest speaker, like our female pastor, a women's pastor is going to come and share her thoughts on marriage. And I remember she said, anytime that your husband requests sex, it is good to honor his request because it can be very um, fragile for a male to be rejected in that way. And we don't want to breed insecurity in our spouses. So it is best whenever your husband requests sex to honor that request. There is a caveat. You know, if you have a baby, there's like six weeks after that, obviously, where you don't have to. Or like if you got really sick or kids are sick, something like that. But otherwise, it's best to always honor his request. So, wow. (laughs) Thanks for coming and offering your insight on a healthy marriage. And so I'm the best girl in the world, and I'm going to do everything to achieve. So I heard our only female pastor say that, and I was like, okay, that's what we do as Christian wives. Mm. So I've never slept with a man. I go to my wedding night. I do that, and I'm like, that was it. And then for six more years, um, I did that just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no pleasure, no enjoyment in it, no, no real connection. Mm-hmm. And I never once thought it, it was coming because I was gay. I, I believed that that part of me was healed. And I believed, oh, that's just because I don't like physical touch. My love language is acts of service. <laughs> I, I really like it when my husband uh, washes the dishes, not when he tries to bang me. You know, I mean, I just, <laughs> I was like, it's a, it's a, it's a me thing. <laughs> and <clears throat> anyway, I share all that to say. We were missionaries um, in the Middle East with Antioch six years into marriage in Iran, and um, I, was, I wasn't looking for connection with another human, but I was very aware that I was deeply disconnected from this person I'd spent six years sleeping next to, mm. six years leading church plants and, you know, uh, all throughout North Africa, now in the Arab Gulf, and just deep, deep, deep loneliness in my heart, and so... Um, I started playing for the women's national basketball team 
And on that team, um, there was a very, very beautiful girl from uh, the, the royal family, a very prominent family. And um, she, uh, she invited us uh, on a trip with her and her husband, Bali, on Sunday morning, on, on Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we were on a, on a flight to meet them at their villa in Bali. And um, our husband's in a way uh, to go rent scooters. And I was not anticipating this, but um, she and I were swimming in the pool, and she swam across the pool and just kissed me on the mouth. What? Wait, what? I'm here to share the gospel with this girl. I'm telling my leaders, because I'm believing it. I'm like, I'm really connected with this girl from the royal family. Like, her and her husband have been so responsive to the gospel. She invited us to Bali, and then she swims across the pool. And keep in mind, you know, she looks like a Kardashian. She's not unattractive by any means. And when her body met mine, it was like I woke up. Mm. I woke up. I found Anna again. I was completely lit up. And it was like, I've been rescued. This is, this is who I am. And I have erased her to fit inside of a church that only offers me conditional belonging, conditional love, conditional acceptance. So what did I do? Like good Christian robot. I told Antioch what happened. I was really honest with the girl. I was like, this can't happen again. I believe in Jesus, you know, whatever. I I told my husband about what happened. And Antioch just said, okay, well, let's keep this in mind. Because I said to them, hey, guys, I've been clear. I asked her not to do that again, but I want to be clear with you guys. A record has started spinning in my mind. Is this why I've never felt connected to my husband? Mm. Is this why I've never been able to connect physically with him? Like, could this be it? And so they sent a couple people um, to come and counsel me. Again, no credentials for counseling. (laughs) And I remember one of the women who was sent to counsel me, said to me like with a smile on her face she was like come on Anna you don't really like women do you and like almost like disgust like come on this isn't real and I was like well I do I do think maybe I could so eventually I told Antioch um I'm fast forwarding through I, I gave birth to my first child in the Middle East after that happened a very traumatic birth. I went through postpartum depression. Um, you know, he came out. It was an emergency C-section. He came out operating. They had to resuscitate him. He was three days in the NICU. I felt no attachment to him because I really got to spend little time with him. So I was, I was in a pretty depressed place. And <clears throat> I told Antioch, like, look, guys, <laughs> you have me here leading this church planning team. And the reality is I think there's a lot of question marks around my sexuality. And the reality, if I can be really direct with you guys, you are asking me to sling this gospel of love, joy, peace, acceptance, and wholeness in Jesus to people who are being asked to risk their lives to follow it. Mm-hmm. Truly, they lose their families, they lose their culture, they lose their whole identity as Arabs if they come and be part of an Antioch church plant. And so it's like I'm asking people to leave their whole sense of belonging to come here and get our belonging which if I'm honest with you guys, I don't feel any of that love, joy, peace, and and wholeness. Mm -hmm. I can't do this anymore. So Antioch was like, okay, okay, we hear you. 
I came back and um, <clears throat> they suggested a counselor for me um, who was out of Portland. That's a lot. Um, women like me. This is what they told me. Um, and it's, it, she's a counselor whose uh, specific lane is to help Christian women struggling with homosexuality return to the light. <laughs> Basically, it's a nice way to say, we're sending you to a conversion therapist to sort this out and save your marriage because what the F just happened, girl. Mm-hmm. And so I started meeting with this woman. I met with her for about 18 months. And I don't know if you're familiar as an audience with how conversion therapy works. I know that you are, Dr. Church. But the very first things that happen is they plant a lot of doubt in you. And the very first thing she said to me when we began our conversion therapy was, <clears throat> have you ever had an experience with a male where you kissed them or were close to them and you became aroused? And I, I sat there and I thought about it. And I was like, well, I mean, like, there was this one time in seventh grade <clears throat> I'd like never kissed a boy and I was at this party and this boy kissed me and I was just like lit up and she said well see you're not gay see you're just bisexual and they start you on this thought pattern of like no you've been deceived no you've been deceived don't trust yourself yourself is wicked trust us see we have data we can show you looking back you know with my eyes open now I just giggle because I'm like of course I felt aroused in seventh grade when a boy kissed me. I'd never been close to another human. Right. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd not been kissed. Like, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Also, it kind of felt like a girl anyway, because it's not like there was a beard attached to this prepubescent boy who kissed me. You know, I mean, it's just like, okay, it's, it's funny now. But the point is, um, about 18 months into conversion therapy, um, I realized what it was. I realized it wasn't helping me. I realized it was harming me. So I shared with a friend about it, and um, she said, hey, Anna, I have unwound myself from Antioch. I have unraveled myself from their way of thinking, and I am happier than ever. My mental health has skyrocketed. I feel more at home inside myself than I ever have. And I started meeting with a therapist who's not from Antioch and who doesn't brand herself as like Christian therapist. And she's actually got a PhD and, and like, she's actually for real. And, and I think you should meet with her. It's been really helpful. And so at this point I was so desperate to save my marriage because I'd been honest and upfront with my husband. Like, look, I want our family to work. I want to be healed of this gay thing, but I can't ignore these question marks around my experience. And the gift I want to give to our children is two happy, fulfilled, alive parents Mm -hmm. living authentically. And I feel like the mom that my boys are getting is a fraud. And I feel like the wife you're getting is a fraud. Mm -hmm. And I need to return to myself. And so I reached out to that therapist. Uh, Spoiler alert, that was you. And um, (laughs) (laughs) enter Dr. Church. And and very quickly... um, I just had a lot of clarity. Like I told my story, I shared about all my experiences and I just remember you saying to me like, and I think it's, it's pretty clear you're gay. (laughs) And it was like, it was peace in it because I'd been in this chaotic storm for almost two years of people being like, you're not gay. That's not true. Don't trust yourself. You were like, Hey, I, I think we can see you're gay. 
And I can see in you a desire to live one life, one story, one Anna, the same person in front of everyone. And I think if you want to do that, you're going to have to come out. And I just remember being like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. That's the life of integrity that Jesus wants me to live is one Anna, one story, no part of her hidden for a certain audience to get their acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so um, I began that path and I, um, my husband and I separated um, in October um, and then January 1st, I moved out. Um, And then in May, we finalized our divorce and it it was, it was really challenging. It it was, Um, we have two small kids and my husband, when he married me, did not think he was marrying a gay person. Um, I did not think that when I made that covenant with him. So, of course, it was hurtful, it was traumatic, it was messy. We're still learning how to co-parent well today. And he's a great, great man. And I know he's doing the best he can. I'm a great, great girl. I'm doing the best I can. I know we're going to figure it out. But two other things that had to happen for me to set myself free, because I realized Aniac wasn't going to rescue me. God wasn't going to rescue me. My Christian life group wasn't going to rescue me. If I wanted to live the life I wanted, no one was coming for me. I had to be my rescuer. So I realized I had to cut alcohol out of my life. And in 10 days, I'll be 365 days hungover free or hangover free. (laughs) So so I just realized, yeah, I just realized like, hey, this isn't serving me. I hate myself and I'm connected now. I, I need to say this. When I was part of Antioch, I had to disconnect my head from my heart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't live as an integrated human because there was too much that they were asking me to reconcile that if I used my head and my heart together, I would have seen it clearly. So I had to shut off my heart and this gay part of me to be there. And so I was living from my head. And when this woman kissed me in Bali, it's like my head and my heart finally clicked back in together. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is who I am as an integrated embodied human, this is Anna. And so, um, yeah, I had to stop drinking because I was drinking to stay in my heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. I, I had to betray my true self to be in the marriage. And so I poured a bunch of alcohol on myself to escape the dissonance, the disconnect between my head and my heart. And so I had to eliminate alcohol. The second thing was I had to build a career. Um, I had to set myself free financially. I made a commitment. I wouldn't leave my marriage until I made six figures. And so um, also a warning, um, if your kid gets really involved in Antioch, um, they're going to have a really terrible resume <laughs> when they're trying to enter um, professional America. So warning. Uh, but yeah, I had this like nonsense resume from 10 years of ministry with Antioch. And um, so I was nine months pregnant with my second son. Took took the LSAT, did really well, got enrolled in law school and knew, um, got a full ride to law school. And I knew, okay, I'm going to have to be in my marriage three more years. Do I think I can keep plugging away at this thing? And so I got a job offer from um, a big tech company um, to make about what a um, attorney would make upon graduating law school. So I took that. I didn't know anything about it. I hustled as hard as I could. And within 10 months, I'd made six figures and initiated the um, separation and subsequent divorce with my husband. But yeah, I, I just um, had to set myself free. And if you ask me today, okay, where does your spirituality lie today? I would say I'm a deeply spiritual person, 
who practices Christ consciousness. Mm. And what I mean by that is so much of the harm I experienced from evangelical Christianity had nothing to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It all had to do with others' agendas. Because when I sat with the person of Jesus, he looked at me and he was like, Anna, I have always loved you and accepted you, even the gay part of you. Would you accept yourself? And that's the invitation I get from Jesus when I sit with him. Not, hey, girl, you kissing other pretty girls on a Friday night is going to prevent your entire destiny in God. That's, that's what John Piper said to me. That's not what Jesus said to me. And so when I sit with the person of Jesus, in my gayness, in my just Christ consciousness, I am happier and more at rest and more embodied in who God, whomever he or she might actually be, designed and set intention in their heart for Anna to be in this expression on this time on earth. And so I'm so happy to be on the other side of it. And I know that my story is a gay story, but there's so many people who've also untangled themselves from these same type of controlling harmful theologies and ideologies who are waking up to the fact that the love of God is so much more broad and expansive and beautiful and fully illuminated in color than and, these churches have ever prescribed to us. And entirely inclusive. It is entirely yeah. inclusive. And the church that you have been a part of in your life preaches a gospel of exclusivity which yeah. again is, yeah. is not in alignment with that Christ consciousness. You know, this is mm -hmm. unfettered and um, just unending grace and acceptance and love for all, no matter what. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's the whole story. And um, <clears throat> I think, I think the one thing that I would say is like being at home inside of my own personhood now, I have belonging. Mm -hmm. It's there. I belong because I belong with me mm -hmm. and I love myself now. I don't hate myself anymore. And, and I've, I've lost so many friends from Antioch. Um, and I, I just started saying to them, because um, I would hear things like, you know, and I love you, but I just can't agree with your choices. And finally I said, hey, my boundary with you as a friend is I cannot be friends with anyone anymore who would encourage me to go back to self-hatred. Mm -hmm. This isn't about a gay thing. This is about you're saying, hey, part of you is, is just really sinful and gross and you need to hate it. And it's like, I'm sorry, fam. I cannot be friends with people who would encourage me to return to a lifestyle of self-hatred mm -hmm. because I entangled myself from it and I'm more alive than I've ever been. And so, yeah, it, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me, Anna, kind of what wisdom or lesson or message you would have for others 
who might resonate with this um, kind of invitation to reject the self in favor of what is being taught to them from religion um, and potentially might be experiencing what you talked so beautifully about as this war within the self. What, what would you want them to know? What, do you, what message do you want to give to them? Yeah, I think that I would want to, sorry if I sound like I'm getting choked up, but I think I would just want to like share a quick story. Um, I played competitive soccer my whole life. I <clears throat> have a, a friend from my team who's now marrying a woman. Um, they've been together four years. They have a beautiful relationship. And she asked another one of our Christian friends to, to be a bridesmaid. And this friend has been very supportive of their four-year relationship. And, and she said, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't be in the wedding for religious reasons. And I, I don't know if it's my Enneagram. I'm seven wing eight. So I don't know if it's my eight wing that was like, oh, heck no, girl. <laughs> we can't do this. But I just reached out to her and, and we started a dialogue around, I said, hey, look, let's put everything the church has ever told you aside. Let's put all of that aside. Now, let's look at the person of Jesus. I read in the, in the accounts of his life that he was a friend of sinners. He was their friend. Okay, so let's translate that to 2021. What would a friend to sinners look like? Well. I would imagine Jesus would be standing in his friends' weddings, celebrating a love that they want to commit to. And so I just encouraged her, like, let's not listen to what the church is saying. Let's look at the model of the person of Jesus. Because the church, I think in many ways, has lost that pure love, that broad, expansive, colorful love that I mentioned before. I'm like a friend to sinners picks their kids up from soccer practice and takes them home because they see you're overwhelmed. Like, I think I would just say, let this pandemic pause, be a pause in your own soul and spirit to let the voice of the church become so dim and so quiet and to let the voice of the divine, whether that expression is Jesus or whether it's something else, become so much louder to you that you would have resolve in Emma's truth, Anna's truth, whatever your truth is that you can be at home inside of. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of like how I'm moving forward with it all. Yeah. Well, and you've spoken in our times together of this inner knowing and that inner knowing being very divine um, in nature, kind of your connection with God or the divine. And also it's our gut feelings. It's our intuition and trauma of any kind does what you had talked about, this kind of head and heart split. It separates mm -hmm. our, our mind and head from our bodies and yeah. our bodies hold truths. And when mm -hmm. we think about trauma, um, Bessel van der Kolk is one of the leading uh, trauma researchers and theorists, and he talks about the body keeping the score. The body yeah. is our evidence of truth. And so when we have that inner knowing, and that inner knowing can sometimes be the dissonance between what you're being told and taught 
and what you can make sense of internally and and feel at peace with. And so, you know, that to me is something that you speak so well to and beautifully to and is kind of woven throughout the story of being embodied, listening to those gut feelings because they're there for a reason. They are mm-hmm. truths. And, and when they exist in the face of dogma and brainwashing and yeah. um, rigid ideology, it's because it, there's a purpose to that. You know, it's so much easier to give away that um, yeah. inner knowing in order to align and get the belonging that we all desire. That's such the human experience is to want belonging. And so, yeah, yeah, I I hear you inviting the listeners and inviting others to go inward, to connect to their intuition, their gut feelings, and and those things that are just truth. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I really like what you're saying just about the body and something, there was a tipping point for me. Um, I I do want to highlight this where, where I realized because my mind was so confused from all the conversion therapy and everything that, you know, these church people had said, and I was like, what's true, what's true, what's true. And so I, I went on a run and um, I like to run because it just can kind of quiet all the chaos because my body's focused on the run. And so I was out running and I said to God, um, and I started calling God mom because I'm like, I mean, why, why not her kingdom come? Why not her will be done? I mean, I, I just think God encompasses so much more than he. And I, I think even when we look at the Hebrew Bible, there's evidence of many references to God as female. So I, I just said, Mom, like, I've got two small kids. I've got a man who's aspiring to be a great husband and has been a very kind husband. Like, I need you to just tell me if I'm gay or not. Like, this is a lot to blow up. This is a lot to destroy. My decision here has eternal you know ripple effects into the lives of the people this will impact and so I was running and I felt like God in that moment was like Anna I want you to think about a time where you felt deeply and intimately physically connected with another human and I mean to this point it's like I'd lived in a nine-year from the outside very beautiful perfect Christian marriage and the one place I had to go was I remembered a Saturday afternoon in college with my, this girl I was dating, laying in bed, kissing, laughing, just wasting an afternoon. And God was like, okay, like, think about how you felt. Like, let's remember that. Like, think about how you felt in that moment. And I was like, okay. And he, and I felt like God was like, now I want you to think of every man in the world, every celebrity, married or unmarried, your husband, anyone in the world. I want you to, I want you to list for me the men you would like to do that with. And I thought for a long time, I was running, and I was like, there's no one. Mm. And God was like, okay, like free pass. Think about that same scenario, and I want you to think about if there's any woman in your life or in your past that you can think of that you would like to do that with. And I was like, God, there is literally a cast of 200 characters. Mm. Like, that is what I want. And it was just so cool because I felt like God was like, well, there's your answer, girl. Mm. And it's like God led me to my truth. Like there wasn't just an answer. No, you're not gay. Mm. Or yes, you're gay. Like revealed the truth for me. And I got done with that run and I walked in 
and I probably shouldn't have done it this way, but I walked in, I grabbed my husband and I said, I want to be honest with you. And I feel I have just realized I am gay. And I wanted you to know the moment I really knew. And I feel like I know now and we need to separate. And, and shortly after we did, and you guys know the rest of the story, but I do think there is a space to continue and build upon these practices that the church has given us of quieting ourselves and making space for the divine to speak. But let it be the divine who's speaking and pointing us back to ourselves, pointing us back to truth not a guy on a platform who actually has very little credentials anyway. And often so much privilege that the truths that he speaks are inaccessible to the majority of people listening to them. Right, right. And and for the majority of the girls on that engagement retreat, when that female pastor said that, that wasn't going to be an issue for them. <laughs> but for the girl who's, you know, closeted queer, yeah, that's going to be really complex. So, yeah. Thank you, Anna, so much for your honesty and your courage and your bravery. And, you know, this is one of the things that I think about you that, um, and and maybe I've reflected back to this to you many times or maybe not, but <laughs> that you do not know just how brave and courageous you are. Um, and potentially it's because, you couldn't help yourself but to become. <laughs> you couldn't help yeah. yourself but to mm. finally come into relationship with the divine being that that you have been created to be. But yeah. this level of truth-telling is rare. It is mm -hmm. special. It is important. And it contributes to not only your own healing but collective healing from similar traumas and this self-denial that so many of us walk around with in an yeah. attempt for acceptance and belonging and love um and so i i am just incredibly grateful i stand in awe mm. of you and you are one of my heroes um oh thanks so much yeah i'm so grateful you know it's it's really funny like Thank you for saying that. I I kind of always felt like, you know what? I'm like Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls. Like, I'm, I'm stepping off the boat from Africa. I'm, like, trying to figure out what's cool. And in this journey, I've realized, no, 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 no. I am unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I am emerging from a bunker that was not reality. And I am now realizing how big and beautiful and alive New York City is. And I'm figuring out how unbreakable I am and how fun and quirky and awesome I am. And I just, I can't thank you enough for your investment in helping me get out of that bunker and step into my true self. Like your, your, you as a resource, as a therapist, has um, truly accelerated my healing and, and my journey to the life I really wanted. So can't say thanks enough for you. Well, it's beautiful to be in this mutual admiration club. Um, I find myself here so often and, and especially in this time with you and listeners, I really am hopeful that you have listened with open ears, open eyes, open mind, open heart. Um, this content may have challenged you, may have challenged your own experience of the church, which might be positive, but it is so necessary to hear 
the least of these, the marginalized, the oppressed. I mean, Jesus always stood on the side of the oppressed. And so this story is transformative if you allow yourself to be open to that transformation and in that place to receive more love and grace for self and others than potentially potentially you knew was possible. And so um, I'm so grateful again for Anna, her time, her wisdom, her story, her healing. And I look forward to seeing and uh, having you all listen next time as we hear another incredible story about bravery and the unbreakable spirit of women Um, in this community and also across the country and the world uh, that are doing these brave and remarkable things. So we'll see you next time. And Anna, thank you again so very much. Thanks so much for having me. You guys have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com.